Sai, hey, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Chris. How are you doing? I'm doing good, thanks. Thank you very much uh, for giving me opportunity to interview you for my YouTube channel and podcast for internet. Sure. Your your video is frozen. Yeah, we got connected. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's probably going to be a little bit of a, a problem with that. It's okay though. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you very much for giving me opportunity to interview you for my YouTube channel and podcast. Yeah, it's it's my pleasure. Um, gl glad to be on. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. So, how are you doing? It's uh, well. We're we're getting close to the holidays. I'm starting to uh, wrap up some presents and uh, you know take a little bit of time off from from uh, all all of the conferences are finished. All of my talks are done. All of my uh, podcasts are are. I'm wrapping up the last of my podcasts. So yeah, it's a little bit of a. I'm looking forward to a little bit of downtime. So actually, I got connected to you at uh, in two thousand twenty-one for the uh, interview. Uh, finally, after two years, after this is end of the year, so I'm doing now. Yeah, it's it's been a minute. I mean, what with the pandemic and and everything, it certainly has been a a long time coming. Glad to finally be on. And uh, I saw you uh, recently have visited uh, the reinvent event. Yeah, it was it was super fun. So I am now an employee of HashiCorp, and so I went to reinvent this year as a developer advocate for HashiCorp, but also as an AWS hero. And so I was fortunate enough to be able to chat with a lot of really smart folks um, from AWS and from you know the the uh, different companies um, like Merit Bear, who is a, a CISO over at Lacework now. Um, she's fantastic in the security space. Uh, Brooke Jamison is amazing in AI ML. Um, a lot, a lot of amazing folks out there. Matthew Bonig, um, Calvin Hendricks Parker, just um, amazing folks in their field. I love chatting with folks who are just like you know at the bleeding edge of of their uh, technology stack, the things that they're working on, figuring out what excites them, and um, you know vibing vibing with them. It's really funny because a lot of these folks I get to only see once a year. So, you know, showing up to reinvent is, you know, reconnecting with old friends, making new friends, figuring out, you know, what's what's the uh, f new fun place to eat in Vegas is always a fun trick. <laughs> so, yeah, I, uh, reinvent is one of my favorite conferences. Awesome. So before uh, before going into your profile, can you please introduce yourself to my audience? Sure. Hey, everybody. My name is Chris Williams. I am an AWS hero. I am a developer relations advocate for HashiCorp, and I have a, a podcast and a couple of user groups. So I'm uh, very active in the community. Oh, I, I can't hear you, Sai. I think you muted yourself. Yeah. So before talking more about before talking more about you and the work that you are doing and uh, the work that you did, uh, uh, I just want to tell about my uh, my sponsor for this episode. Please uh, do. 
which yeah so which is sat adam sales and customer facing teams often switch between several uh, communication tools causing time management and visibility issues that can slow down deal velocity the solution is sat adam where conversation converts which with sat adam your team can centralize all communications within your chat tool no more switching waiting or fragmented chats because the messaging is where business gets done sales teams can stay uh, in slack or microsoft teams and connect with customers leads or candidates on their uh, existing chat tool building better relationships through constant communication in inbound or outbound messaging make it encrypted and uh, compliant plus bring all com- communication in your crm or ticketing system no data entry required join start adam to enhance customer relationships and uh, close deals at uh, hyper speed with unified chat thank you very much uh, uh, chris for your presence on my show again sure no problem happy to be here <laughs> so uh, tell me about uh, your experience with uh, in uh, reinvent have you met uh, uh, the vice president jeff brass so um because i'm an aws hero i do get the opportunity to um chat with a lot of folks um at at the show uh, you know aws employees um this year uh, we met with verner vogels we had we had our um you know our dinner with him uh, i i chatted with jeff a uh, wonderful wonderful human being uh, i i super love jeff um Uh, a, a lot of, I I met uh I I do chat with a lot of folks uh from there it's um it's a really good opportunity for me to catch up with them personally but also you know figure out what's going on um in their neck of the woods uh chat about their what's exciting them what's next on the horizon what's going on in their world it's a it's a really good opportunity to um you know just uh, figure out what's what's happening and and uh you know, do do a little because i'm i've been work from home for i want to say about 7 years now so i was i was work from home from since before the pandemic so getting out and catching up with all of these folks who i don't catch up with in the office because i because i'm a big extrovert it's weird because i'm an extrovert but i work from the house so i i don't get the opportunity to actually be physically present with people until i'm at a conference or i'm at a user group or something like that so that's when i get to uh you know scratch that itch so tell me about your role uh, as a developer and uh, as a person uh, who is into aws sure so my role at hashicorp is i'm a developer advocate well, actually I'm, i'm the developer advocate for manager for north america but in that capacity i also do da work for hashicorp um it's kind of a player coach role um what that means is that i'm very interested in talking about the the hashicorp toolset terraform vault boundary console waypoint packer vagrant all the fun stuff um i've i'd been using the tools for a very long time and so when hashicorp approached me at reinvent last year and asked me if i thought about you know being a da i was like well you know tell me more about it what's what is the, what does that even mean because i've always been involved in community from it it's been my hobby i i enjoy getting on podcasts i enjoy talking to people i love panel chats and presenting and running meetups and user groups and all of those things i'd never thought about doing it as a profession 
So when they approached me, they were like, hey, why don't you come do your hobby for us, you know, for, for, a, for a paycheck? And I was like, is that a, is that a thing I can do? <laughs> and and uh, they were like, yeah, absolutely. So prior to that, I was an enterprise architect. Um, I've, I've worked for WWT, which is a, a large company. It's the largest company nobody's ever heard of. Um, wonderful group of people over there as well. I was in the ProServe team, the professional services team at WWT, functioning as an enterprise architect, as a solutions architect, fixing fixing customer problems for you know the Fortune 100s, and and going out and doing the things with all of with the rest of my cloud team. Invariably, I was always using HashiCorp tools. Like whenever a big company wanted to start leveraging infrastructure as code, start getting into the cloud in a cohesive, repeatable, scalable pattern. So they want to create their dev environment, their UAT environment, and their production environment. They want them all to look exactly the same, except you know some of the names are different and some of the instance sizes are different, or they want to leverage a, a repeatable pattern. That's when they flip over to infrastructure as code. So I'd seen this over and over and over again, and I'd always be using Terraform or, you know, some 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 of the IAC tooling that are that are out there. You know, if they wanted to go native, then they would use CloudFormation or or Bicep or or whatever. If they wanted to remain vendor agnostic, they would leverage Terraform. Uh, and you know, it's it's a I, I don't want to get like too commercially. I, I I love talking about it, but I also want to be careful about you know, you know, going over rotating too much. So, so HashiCorp approached me and they're like, Hey, what, what, you like talking about Terraform. Why don't you come talk about Terraform for us? And I was like, okay, that sounds like fun. So that was about a year ago and I, I've been there since. So you as an enterprise architect and a solutions architect. So how is that experience and what kind of projects that you have done? I was. So the the term in 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 the U.S. is kind of like a smoke jumper or a firefighter. Um, I was dropped into projects that had gone poorly. So they would they uh, the company would engage with worldwide. The project would sometimes go great, sometimes go bad. If the project started going bad, then I would get called in to help fix the problems. Um, they, so I, I gained a reputation there as somebody that could take a project that was not going fantastic, figure out what the issues were with that, and then, you know, get the project back on track. My role there uh, was largely cloud migrations, um, leverage uh, application development from a from a DevOps perspective, making sure that, you know, CICD pipelines were, were solid, making sure that security and testing was done well. I had a large group of folks that were absolutely fantastic underneath me. As an enterprise architect, I would be helping to run several different streams of work. So I would be the EM, excuse me, I would be the EA, the enterprise architect. And underneath me, I would have several solutions architects for each phase of the project. And then underneath the solutions architect, there would be um, solutions engineers, the actual hands-on keyboard folks. My counterpart in these kinds of projects would be an engagement manager. And then for each one of those streams of work, Every SA would have, you know, one project manager to keep an eye on things. So I would work very closely with an engagement manager to make sure that the projects 
and all of my essays and all of my SCs from a technical standpoint were, were getting the work done. And then the project manager would from a timeline and Gantt charting and are the, are the right things happening and finishing at the right time perspective, we would be working closely together to, you know, make sure projects went, went properly. <laughs> so you are a speaker, you attend uh, uh, conferences, uh, you, you also uh, being uh, a podcast uh, host, co-host and uh, you, you're talking and also you're a leader, you're telling people what to do and uh, how to make things happen and understanding how the enterprise uh, thing works. So how do you define yourself? Uh, how do you enjoy the work that you're doing? What is exciting you in the work that you do in the present role? That's a great question. I, I love teaching. I love learning. I love education. I really enjoy helping other people figure out what it is they want to do, you know, with their, with their lives. And uh, if they want to get into tech, I enjoy helping, you know, carve a path for them to get to where they want to be. When I do my own learning for myself, I really like to learn in public. I like to, you know, fire up the camera and say, hey, I'm going to learn this today. And then I just learn in public and then I try to the for me, the best way to really cement something in my head is to teach it to somebody else. So if I'm going to be learning Terraform, then I'm going to learn Terraform in such a way that I can help a bunch of other people learn Terraform by teaching it to them. It really, really gets it into my head. So that's why Andrew Brown and I did the Terraform Beginner Bootcamp. We're about to start the Terraform Intermediate Bootcamp. Um, that's why I wrote the article for Free Code Camp on the study list of all of the things that you need to read up on to pass your Terraform Associate Certification, which I actually used myself to go pass my Terraform Associate Certification. So I'm, I like to practice what I preach. If I'm going to go out there and, you know, be an advocate for a learning path or something like that, I'm, I'm going to do it myself as well. Um, so I really, I, I love doing that. I love helping other folks get into tech. I, I think it's a, it's a very good place for people that, that haven't necessarily been um, able to advocate for themselves to, to like get into and, and get into something that can be very beneficial. I mean, the, the pay scales for tech is, is, you know, it's, it's what they are. Uh, tech pays good. So I like to help people, you know, level up and also get paid well. So different enterprises have uh, different architecture. So how do you understand that and how do you solve the problems? Oh, uh, that's a good, that's a great question. Every company that I've ever worked in or been brought into to kind of like figure out what's happening, they're all they're all different. Every large organization, as they grow, they grow organically. So every company is a unique snowflake. Um, the way that I try to figure out every new company is I ask dumb questions. I call I call them Chris's dumb questions. Um, I, I go in there and I say, OK, what's this? Why did we do this this way? What's what's happening over here? A lot of times when I'm in a large, when I'm in a group of folks and we're going through a review of an environment, I'll ask really high level questions about why did we get to this place with this thing? And invariably, what I'll find is that employees that have been inside of a company for years, 
they'll come to me after these sessions and they'll be like, oh, my God, thank you for asking that question. I've been wondering that for years, um, but I was always afraid to ask that question. I'm I am completely unafraid to ask any question. I, I that's one of that's my superpower. I'm unafraid to make to let myself look dumb in front of other people. I'm totally fine with it. So what I'll do is I'll go into a company. I'll ask them for all of their documentation. Sometimes it'll be great documentation. Sometimes it'll be horrible documentation. Sometimes it'll be no documentation. And then I figure out, OK, let's start writing the documentation for this environment. Um, I, I have a background in TOGAF, uh, which is the open architecture graph. I, f I forget what it stands for, but TOGAF is a certification for solutions architects. It's, it's good for some things, um, but what it's really good at is helping you figure out what kinds of questions to ask, how to frame functional requirements, what's really important, what's not so important, defining your stakeholders. It's, uh, it's really good for figuring out when you're talking to people within an organization, how you want to couch your questions and what kind of dictionary of words you want to use. So that coupled with my psychology degree, ironically, um, it has been very helpful for me in, in asking questions. So you mentioned something that is different from technology. So psychology degree you have, what's your background that is making you do great things today? Because you are doing multiple things today, what, what you did before so my uh, that's that's a lot so my parents were in the service um so we moved around a lot i i never I, i've the first time i moved to, to the states was when i was 18 years old um i was i was born in japan i was raised in germany my mother's a greek national so we spent a lot of time in greece um so every new place that i was put into i i got a new exposure to a new way of learning or a new a new methodology so my background is I have a degree in psychology. Um, I was in a I was a, a martial artist for a while uh, while I was attending university. I spent a lot of time doing like full contact martial arts and stuff. I was also a bartender. I was also a bouncer. Um, I've I've done a lot of things. But the way that I got into tech was when I was in university. I was also a very avid video game player. I love playing video games with with my roommates in the college dorms. I liked it so much that I started doing I started learning networking so I could wire all of our computers together locally in the dorm room and so that we could all play Doom together. Doom uh you know you know, do you know what Doom is? It's a it's a shoot 'em up video game. Okay. So so we liked playing Doom and we wanted to shoot each other. So I figured out how to do networking and I got really good at it and eventually I had like eight people in the dorm room and they would bring over their their computers and and we would play video games. My roommate, who was a computer science uh, student, and me at the time I was actually pre-med, the, the, one of the teachers for my CS roommate, Tom, came in, saw the network in the room and said, hey, Tom, this is a fantastic network setup. You, it's, the wiring is very clean. You did a great job here. My roommate, Tom, said, I didn't do this. It's, it was Chris, the pre-med student over here. And so my university hired me to redo the network for the computer science department. Um, and so I learned about Cisco switching. I learned, I got my CCNA. Um, I, I figured out, you know, how to do all of those things. And then my university paid me, ironically, more than what my actual tuition was to to help out with the CS department. So I, so I did that and I realized that, oh my gosh, 
I this is this is a very lucrative thing that I can learn how to do very quickly. And so so then I I, I started that's how I started my career. I, I got into networking. And then I learned operating systems and then I learned servers and then I learned data centers and then I learned virtualization and then I learned cloud and then and now I'm learning programming and development. So here I am. So understanding uh, human emotions, feelings and thoughts, behavior, uh, the organic, the nature product you understood with your degree, uh, technology is human created product. And uh, cloud, virtualization, data centers, servers is something human creation. So nature creation you understood and now you are learning and teaching and uh, attending conferences in the podcast. You are telling uh, human created things. So how that uh, psychology degree is helping you to be a better and great technologist. So you know what's funny? When I started, when I got into my tech career, at the very beginning, it was very much fixing technological problems. As my career progressed, as I started going higher and higher up into organizations and working with directors and VPs and SVPs and then C-level people, I started using my technology chops less and less and less and started using my psychology chops more and more and more. when now when I walk into a, a company and they want me to come in and fix things, nine times out of ten, it's not the technology, it's the people. And so I you I leverage my psychology skills and my interpersonal communication stuff and getting people to like, you know, use the same words. So when I say words, the words that you hear sometimes aren't the same words that I say. And what I encourage folks to do is say, okay, I just said all of these words. Now you tell me back what you thought you heard me say. And that's a very powerful tool for figuring out where the miscommunication is at any level within an organization. Um, I do that with directors and their subordinates. I do that with C-level people and and their SVPs. Um, It's, you know, I I, I call it... so so when when you have two siblings that are fighting with each other, sometimes parents have this joke. They call this thing the get along T-shirt. It's like a giant T-shirt and you put both kids in the one T-shirt and they have to stay in that T-shirt until they they figure out whatever it is that they're fighting about. Um, so I jokingly tell, you know, executives, if executives are in a boardroom having a fight, I'm like, don't make me put you in the get along T-shirt. And then they'll have a big laugh and that, that'll diffuse the situation. And, and then we move on from there. So it's a it's a mixture of communication skills. It's a mixture of humor. It's trying to get folks to, you know, realize that everybody makes mistakes. Everybody's a human. And and we all need to be able to ask dumb questions and and be able to not fear failure. So my my job. A lot of times is just getting people into a comfortable environment where they can be open with each other. So how is uh, uh, AWS services uh, helping humanity? (laughs) That's a loaded question. How are AWS services helping humanity? Well, um, I don't know if we can actually measure that. I would say that if they are, in fact, helping humanity, it would be because they are able to uh, fail fast. So 
now when I'm in a startup, I don't have to buy hardware. I don't have to hire a bunch of folks internally to help me provision networking and learn about, you know, all the things I can rent a server or rent serverless compute or, you know, rent, rent a, a, a large language model and, and not have to, you know, become an expert in 17 different things. I can just be an expert in the idea that the, the, the problem that I want to fix. So if cloud is helping humanity and that's still, that's still debatable. Um, <laughs> they, they, they burn a lot of energy. They are getting better about recording their energy and recording and figuring out how to, you know, use renewables resources for that, for which I applaud them. Then I would say that is how AWS services are helping humanity. So how are you have a both architect and a, a people's person in you? Yeah, I, I hope so. I mean, that's, that's, I, I think so. I'm, I hope so. <laughs> And uh, how do you balance your uh, logical and emotional thing? I, I have to say that it's tough. It's not. It's not easy to because when I'm when I'm working with a customer, I, I can get frustrated too. I have to figure out how to you know work with folks that sometimes are intractable or you know they've they've been doing this thing for 20 years and you know, they can't be taught any new things because that's the way they've always done it. And that's the way they're going to continue to do it even. And, and they can't see the better way. And so sometimes I get frustrated too. I have to say that, you know, I, I'm good. So I met, I, I meditate, I do yoga. <laughs> I, I, I do, I do a lot of things to help me get in touch with still mind and beginner mind. Um, so I, I think that's what I use as my as my tool set for uh, balancing the emotional side versus the technical side. So how much technology you know and you understood? Oh boy, how much technology do, do I know and understand? I don't understand the question. What do you mean? Uh, the technology, uh, you know, uh, research that you have done and. Uh, working in technology, using technology services and tools and mm -hmm. products, how much mm -hmm. you, you think that you know that uh, that are helping you to solve the technology problems for enterprises? Well, a very, man, a very wise man once said that the more you learn, the more you realize you know nothing. So I always tell people I know nothing, and then I start from there. But if, if I were to sit down and try to formulate what I know. Um, I, I have this really good question. I'm, I'm actually interviewing for a, a new developer advocate for my team right now. And I have this really good question that helps me understand how much somebody else knows about a technology stack. And the question is this, if I open up a web browser and type in www.hashicorp.com or, or whatever, and then I, and I hit enter, walk me through what happens. Um, and depending upon how deep the person gets into that, you know, if they can walk me down the OSI stack and walk me back up the OSI stack, if they can talk about bus speeds and electrons being written to a hard drive, um, DNS provisioning, load balancing, primary DNS, DCs versus secondary DCs, um, IP NAT gateways, IP traversal, um, encapsulation, you know, 
all the way over to the server side um, and, you know, response queries and HTTP 200s and, you know, onto the disk and the database on the back behind that web server, that that usually tells me how much somebody knows about a tech stack. Now, I personally have, um, you know, I, I understand hardware. Uh, I've, I've, I've built servers since, you know, I was a kid. I've got all of this, all of the certifications from A plus to MCSE to CCNA and CCIE um, uh, virtualization. Uh, I was, I was a, a, I am a VMware V expert, and I've been doing VMware. I did VMware for about 15 years. I have a VCIX for four, five, and six, um, and then I pivoted over to AWS, and I have all of the associate certifications, all of the professional certifications. I don't have any of the specialties because I kind of just stopped doing that. Um, and, and now I'm working on like developer tools. So I'm, I'm studying Python and JavaScript and web development and Git and GitHub and, you know, all of those things too. So I've throughout my career, I've, I've been in the business now for about 25 years. Throughout my career, I've touched everything in the tech stack from disks. I was a, I was a storage administrator in the back in the old days. I was a, I was a DBA for a hot minute. Um, I've worked in a bunch of startups, so I've worn a lot of hats. Um, and now I'm starting to get into the development side. So I, I think I've, I think I've pretty much touched everything in technology, including clouds. <laughs> you, you said you ask uh, uh, deep questions, and uh, you ask, uh, uh, you always have questions. So when mm -hmm. you meet uh, different developers or different technology experts, what kind of questions that you ask, and uh, why you ask? Why you want? Why you have questions? Well, I mean, it depends on the on the venue and the format. So, if we're talking on my podcast on V Brown Bag, then I'll ask them about their specialties. I'll ask them, you know, what what are the things that excite them? What are the things that they're working on? And the audience for V Brown Bag are new learners, folks that are like getting into it. It's it's beginner to intermediate learners. And so when I talk to people that are very advanced in their field, I say, I'm going to ask you a question, but answer, you know, explain it like I'm five, you know, do give, give me, give me the kindergartner answer, then give me the intermediate answer too. So, so that, you know, when folks can watch this in the future, they, if they're, if they're, so for example, I had a, a lady on that is a policymaker for AI down in Washington, DC, brilliant, brilliant woman. And I said, okay, I'm going to ask you questions about AI, and I and I want I would like to get two answers back: one for somebody just learning AI, and a second answer for somebody that has an intermediate understanding of AI and you know really wants to get into the nuance. That way, when you watch it the first time, and then you you realize, oh, I I like AI, I want to learn more about ML. You can then rewatch the exact same episode and learn more about it from from watching it twice eventually further down the line when you under when you have a better vocabulary for that topic um if i'm talking to somebody not on the podcast like at a conference or something then it'll be much more casual um sometimes i have to you have to read the person to figure out you know do do they even want to talk about this or do they just want to talk about you know their pets or <laughs> or or their kids uh so so you know some sometimes i just have a conversation with folks about their dog So how do you understand uh, enterprise and how much time you understand to uh, know the architecture of it? 
enterprise just in general or like with specifically within within companies what do you mean yeah as an enterprise architect how much time you take usually to understand or to create a, a architecture for uh, for an enterprise okay so there's a the process for this is uh, it's a it's usually a two week long requirements gathering process so there's there's a uh, four things that you try to get out of an architectural design requirements risks assumptions and constraints um the requirements are so like say a company says i want you to make this thing for me i want I, so you establish what kind of project guidelines you want to do so the requirements are the things that lead to the success of that project what are the things that have to be done absolutely bare minimum those are, those are called your functional requirements um then there's uh requirements risks assumptions and constraints so the risks are the risks that could possibly stop those requirements from being established assumptions are the 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 things that the company is, has assumptions about like we assume that you're going to use AWS or Azure or 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 this or the solution is going to be on prem and then the constraints are what things what things are going to be the constraints around the project budgetary constraints you can only spend $50,000 or or um we have to use netapp for for the for your your back end so i spend about 2 weeks figuring out what the requirements risks assumptions and constraints are for a given project and then i use those four data points or or the data points within those four buckets to create the solution um that process usually takes about another 2 weeks wherein i iterate with the stakeholders and i go and i say okay this is this is the first design that i've made based upon all of your requirements risks assumptions and constraints and that'll usually be about 70 to 80% there i then iterate with the stakeholders to make to fine tune that design through that course of another 2 weeks to really solidify what that design is going to look like make sure that the svp and the director and the engineers are all cool with what that design is going to look like and then we actually start the initiation of the project usually about a month into it so how is working with small medium and large scale companies oh vastly different uh small small companies are are very Lucy uh, the larger the company the longer the project takes even if you're trying to create the exact same thing more people means more stakeholders more um meetings that have to get done more calendars that have to be juggled um smaller companies are better at moving fast but you know the the I'll be I'll be honest you you don't get as much money from smaller companies so <laughs> <laughs> you you work with SMB so SMBs is is an acronym small medium businesses you work with SMBs um to figure out and suss out a project to create your POCs and everything your proof of concepts and then when you figured out you know at a lower level can you scale up this solution can you figure out can this be enterprise ready then you approach enterprises and you and you do the same solution there with the scaling and the knowledge and the and the experience that you learn from the project with your smbs so which one you like uh, to spend uh, uh, time on i i like them all i i i really enjoy working both with smbs and with enterprise level customers 
um, for, for different reasons. Um, I like enterprises because you, you get to meet a lot more people. You get to have a lot more finely tuned, experienced people working on things with you. Um, and I like startups because they move really, really fast and everybody wears a bunch of hats. Um, the thing that I liked about consulting when I was, when I was an EA for WWT, I did, I was, I was considered a consultant. The thing that I liked about that was, I was put into a new company every three to six months. I was in, you know, I brought into the company, figure out what was going wrong and, and fix the thing and then move on to the next company. So I love a very fast pace of learning. I love meeting new folks. I love meeting new challenges and, and being exposed to new technologies. So EA, being an EA for WWT was, was super fun for me in that regards. Um, that was my day job. My, my, the thing that I was doing at night, is is what I'm is was basically effectively being a DA as well. So so during the day I was an EA, at night I was a DA, and now I'm just a DA during the day. So uh, yeah, I I really enjoyed working with all of all all different sizes of companies, but for very different reasons. So seeing the behind picture, the Lord Buddha uh, uh, behind you uh, yep. tells me that uh, there is a spiritual person in you. And uh, with your degree, I can understand you are a psychologist. And mm. uh, being in technology, I can see you are a technologist and uh, working in bartender and uh, working in different places, being in different three degrees uh, and, uh, you know, t two different countries. So uh, mm. why, uh, how do you define this diversity, like diverse person in you? I... So I... I do have imposter syndrome. Um, are, are, do, do you, does your audience know what imposter syndrome is? Okay. Yeah. So, so I do have that. I always, I always try to level up and, and skill when, whenever I take on a new challenge, whether that be a new hobby or, or a new technology or, or a new martial art or whatever like that, I always, I always <laughs> over rotate. I always go, a little bit too hard on it, um, and I and I think that is because of my imposter syndrome. So I am a very confused mess of expertise, not realizing how good I am at some things, and also having. But I, sometimes I also have a really good vision of of how bad I am at something. It's it's a mess. I'm a mess. It's it's a it's a whole big mess. <laughs> so uh, uh, you understand the hardware, the infrastructure, uh, infrastructure of the technology, and uh, now you are learning JavaScript. You know uh, the programming languages, and you know the software development. So mm -hmm. uh, comparing with your uh, psychology degree, where you have understood the the human body and uh, 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 the thoughts which are invisible. So can can have, do you relate with uh, uh, human thing with technology because uh, human the physical body is equal to infrastructure the physical infrastructure data center servers and uh, thoughts uh, with uh, the data. Uh, I mean there are analogies, but I but I don't think that there's a one to one mapping of of you know the the, the technology stacks to to the human psyche. Um, honestly, I think that I think that the people part is harder. They call them hard skills and soft skills, and that 
you know, the hard skills are the, you know, the technology and learning IP address tables and cider blocks and, and, you know, creating functions and, you know, defining variables and stuff like that. That's the hard skills. And then they say the soft skills are figuring out communication and how people work together and getting somebody who is tractable to, to do something that you want them to do. I think it's, it's weird because I think the soft skills are harder to learn than the hard skills. So, so they should flip flop the names. The, the tech should be the soft skills and the people should be the hard skills, but that's neither here nor there. I, I think that to be good at technology, you have to be good at communicating with humans too. And that's super tough because a lot of the reason, a lot of the times, the reasons why we get into computers is because they're easier than humans. Like, like I got into computers because I, you know, playing, playing computer, you, you put in some input. Uh, this was, you know, back when I had my Commodore 64, you, you learn basic, you put in some input and stuff comes back. And it's very simple. And it's very easy. And talking to people with emotions is harder, way harder. <laughs> so, so folks that get into computers naturally gravitate towards not being, I don't, I don't want to say that everybody that's in computers isn't good at talking to other humans. But there, but there is a propensity for folks in tech to shy away from. We have a lot of introverts in tech, so teaching technical people soft skills, I think, is a very valuable endeavor, and I and I try to do that too, in my own little way. So, what is Brown Bag Podcast? So, V Brown Bag started about 14 years ago it was initially it was a group of guys and this was before i came on initially it was a group of guys alistair cody um john and a, and a couple of folks that were studying for their vmware certifications um they they got together every wednesday night and they're like hey let's study let's study for our vm certs and then somebody got the, the bright idea to start recording it. um so they hit record on a camera and they studied live and they created a really good body of work for VMware certifications. And so they were like, okay, what, what are we going to, if, if we're going to publish this, what are we going to call this thing? Um, and in corporate culture, there are these things called brown bag lunches where you take your lunch and you go to the lunchroom and there's somebody there teaching something. So everybody's eating their lunch and there's somebody up t- in front presenting on a topic or something like that. And so those were, those were called brown bag lunches. And we didn't, ha- we weren't going to like physically show up in a place. So it was a virtual brown bag. So we called it V brown bag. Um, and, and what it is, is somebody comes on the show with something that they want to talk about, some technology that they're excited about, something that they want to do. And, and we, we put them, we, me and my other co-hosts, we come from different backgrounds. We've got me as an enterprise architect. We've got Shala as a DevOps engineer. We've got Sean as a AI, ML, and infrastructure as code person. And we've got Roger as a cloud security guy who's also learning AI and ML now. And so we ask questions to the presenter from all of those different career points. And then, and then we just have a good time. We, we crack jokes and when we shoot the poop and, and we just, uh, you know, ask, ask them, you know, th- any, any kind of question, either professionally or, or about, you know, personal stuff too, because, we had one lady that was on, she was talking about her Python stuff. And then she let slip the fact that her husband was a lead singer in a death metal band. And we're like, what? Wait a minute. 
Hold on. I have so many questions. So, so we, we talked about Python and death metal for an hour. <laughs> um, it started off with VMware. Um, but then when I came on, we started branching out and we started doing things like, you know, VMware's is, you know, it's, it's virtualization. Uh, cloud has, I'm not going to say supplanted virtualization, but it's, you know, there, it, there's a lot, there's a lot more interest in that and serverless and all those other things. So I said, Hey, we need to branch out. We can't just be doing VMware stuff. So we started doing all of the certifications. AWS certifications, Azure certifications, Linux certifications, Git and GitHub. And then I was like, okay, well, there's certain technology stacks that we, there's no cert for it, but people still need to know it to be good at, to be good in, in technology. They need to be good at Git. They need to be good at version control and GitHub and learning all of those things. Um, so now we have multiple series running at the same time. We have a track on AI and ML. We have a track on Python and development in general. Uh, we have a track on certifications, um, cloud certs. Um, uh, we're doing a, a track on Linux as well. Um, and honestly, right now, generative AI is super, super hot. Um, so we've we've been doing a track on, on that, not only teaching people how to leverage it to make their jobs easier, but also the ethical implications and what the policymakers are thinking about AI too. Because we want to make sure that when our audience is using AI, that they are using it ethically. And, and when I mean ethically, they understand the ramifications of it can be wrong. It can be very wrong. And it can be, and, and, you know, depending upon the input, it could also be horribly racist or misogynist. So, <laughs> so giving people a broader understanding of the full view of a technology is the goal of vBrownBag. So AWS services are, are like uh, everywhere. It's a global thing. So uh, they are now AI, the advanced technology. So you mentioned the eth ethical things. So from different countries, human beings from different parts of the world, mm. the planet. So how this ethics means to everyone? That's a that's a really tough question to answer because, you know, depending upon a person's upbringing, depending upon what country they come from, depending upon their religious beliefs, um, they, they can have different ethical guide stars. So I, I think what's going to be super important and a, and a very difficult problem to solve is figuring out the, the more people that are involved in this problem from the more backgrounds from different parts of the world, the more people, the, the, the larger the sample size that we have of folks fixing this problem, the better chance we have of actually getting a good solution that, that suits everybody. Um, this cannot be a solution that is solved by 20 year old tech bros in San Francisco. It's, it's gotta be a lot of people from a lot of different backgrounds, a lot of different ages and a lot of, a lot of different, um, you know, Ethnic ethnic origins. Uh, you have been in technology for twenty plus years. You have seen the evolution of the technology. You saw the technology before cloud and after cloud, and uh, uh, how uh, businesses businesses are changing and how they are adopting to the new 
new way and uh, the solutions architect as a enterprise architect you are solving problems in different ways so mm-hmm. how do you define this constant change that is happening in technology and we are in that level where we are using ai advanced chat gpt and the uh, top business leaders like elon musk uh, 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 microsoft amazon all the technology companies are thinking about advancing uh, technology and help humanity uh, uh, with the technology tools and services that we have and also the with the technology uh, how do you define uh, that 20 20 years ago how the the reality the society was there and how this technology today uh, this uh, the global communications happening the all countries are interconnected today the content is exchanging people are uh, are visible to each other with youtube and all these technology channels how do you define this drastic change that happened in this 20 years with the technology uh i i think i think it's a good thing the 20 years ago you and i would not have been able to do this we, um there's we wouldn't have been able to you know do a, a meeting across the planet and have you know a, a face to face like this so i find this super valuable being able to exchange ideas with folks that that you know would would take me 5 days to fly to is is something that that i'm that i'm very appreciative of there are bad actors out there who misuse this technology um you know misinformation uh, political strife uh the the bad side of social media all of those things as well so i think on the whole it's been really good i think that we need to be very cautious about the abuses and trying to and the anonymity because because when humans are anonymous online they have a a propensity to you know be jerks uh it's it, when when you and i are in a room together we we talk like humans when you are a faceless command line interface people can people can be crappy um and and i mean i've i've even done it myself i've i've been a jerk to people online and like afterwards i was like ah, i shouldn't have said that and you know then i delete my tweet um so i <laughs> i th- i think on the whole it's been good um for for civilization i think that policymakers and lawmakers need to stop using it for ill and and figure out how to get out of the get out of the way but also give people guardrails to not figure out how how people can be less jerky <laughs> online so what suggestions that you have that that you think that policy makers or the governance uh, the 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 top leaders or the decision makers need to think for next generations uh, uh, with the technology that is, that they are going to give to the humanity well i mean it's tough because there's all my my gut reaction is to say less anonymity but there's also privacy concerns i mean there are people out there that need to remain anonymous for very very good reasons i'm i'm very much out there and you know my my social media presence is very loud um but there are folks out there that that need to remain anonymous um i i think there there just needs to be some kind of way to figure out how how do we tag bad actors 
tag bad actors so that they can't be jerks online, but also not expose vulnerable members of society in a way that they don't wish to be exposed. How, how to get there, I don't have a great off the top of my head solution. So you talk with technology experts, you talk with Jeff, you talk with developers, you talk with business uh, leaders, and uh, uh, you you understand the, the technology business. So it took... Uh, I, I try to understand it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, today you are at a place where uh, things are far uh, better than 20 years ago. So after 20 years from now, can hmm. we... Uh, I'm curious because your words and your valuable thoughts about this is going to, uh, you know, reach a lot of people. So how do you, uh, uh, with the expertise that you have today, after next, you know, 20 years, can we be multi-planetary species with the communication system that we have today, working for the productivity, uh, working from different parts of the world? What kind of change we can imagine with uh, all countries' contribution? I genuinely hope that within 20 years we are a multi-planetary species. That would be absolutely amazing. Um, I don't think that with the way things are going right now, we are setting ourselves up for success. We are we are far too consumed <clears throat> with strife amongst ourselves. I, I hope that we have some way to focus on problems that are bigger than ourselves. Um, we are all one humanity and, and a, a lot of, a lot of this hoarding and, and, uh, <laughs> there's, there's, we, we clearly have a lot of problems. This, you know, for the folks in the future listening to this, this is 2023. There's a lot of bad things going on right now that we have manufactured and done to ourselves. Um, I hope that we can f find and focus on a problem. And I know that if we all got together and just concentrated on one thing at a time, we could knock these things out very, very quickly. The, the best thing that we can do for ourselves is make sure that everybody has an extraordinarily good education. And that is the big thing about the internet. Everybody has access to every piece of information out there if we can make sure that all of that information is actually scientifically valid and legitimate, and we're not spinning our wheels with like people trying to convince us that the earth is flat, then, then we, then there's no limit to the things that we can do. Um, but we've got to stop messing it up for ourselves. So can we expect a data center out of the planet? An, an extraplanetary data center on the moon? Yeah. Who knows? You know what? I mean, we've we've already got a couple of uh, uh, modules up there, so I'm 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 guessing that there's going to be one within 20 years. Absolutely. Why why wouldn't why wouldn't we? So I asked the same question to Jeff, and he he said the uh, we have planned for five years. We don't know what happens after that. Nice, nice. Does he does he are we are they going to have a an availability zone on the moon in five years? Yeah, I asked him because we have data centers <laughs> under the ocean, water, yep. we are everywhere. The information transfer is happening with these data centers. Can we expect mm. there? So he said it depends on the need. If the if the if the humanity like humans needs 
you know to uh, to have the communication system there definitely there the amazon web services data center will be there you know what i i play a lot of video games um right now i'm playing starfield where humanity has become a a multi not just multi planetary but multi galaxy species um i i wish i was i wish i would be alive to see something like that awesome So at last uh, what do you say about uh, my work uh, my global communication about my youtube channel and podcast your I, I think I, i i love it i i love what you're doing um reaching out to folks across the planet and just paying them and and seeing you know this these kinds of conversations are super valuable every time somebody reaches out to me or i reach out to somebody else and and we can make a connection across the planet and then maybe one day in vegas meet up for uh for a, a coffee um i i love i love doing stuff like this so what do you say about my questioning in this conversation oh um they're they're very thoughtful um they're they're good questions i like that you're tying in thoughtfulness about humanity and and you know some of the soft skills you know a lot of times technology podcasts are just about like okay this this is a hard skill what do you think about this what do you think about the next two or three weeks of innovation you're thinking about 10 15 20 years and i appreciate that so can you share your work to my audience so that they can um, know the work that you're doing and follow you yeah um so if you google mistwire m i s t w i r e I am like the first 3 pages of hits. Uh that's that's you'll see my LinkedIn, you'll see my Twitter account, you'll see my Threads account, my Mastodon, all all of the things. Um my my blog, uh the V Brownbag podcast, just Google Mistwire and and you'll see all the things. And your podcast? The podcast is called V Brownbag. Uh if you go to vbrownbag.com, that's the website. or if you're on the YouTube channel and you just at youtube/vbrownbag then you'll see it we've got about 2500 videos up right now over the past 13 years um tons of really really good content i always go back and watch stuff years past like like i'm rewatching the python series right now because there's some valuable nuggets in there that at the time i didn't appreciate so i'm now going back and watching some of the expert level um videos and going oh that's what they meant so yeah be brown bag so i'll put your web link in the description also on the screen as well people who find my uh, video on youtube or anywhere in the internet can able to see the work that you're doing can uh, learn from you uh, can i put this video on my youtube channel with your permission you absolutely can of course also can i put this uh, audio and video clip on my podcast website internet social media everywhere with your permission yes of course and uh, one last observation because uh, it means a lot to me i did masters in software engineering also bachelor's in computer science and engineering nice. right now i'm doing a, a devops engineering projects for a uk company and also for a us company remotely from india mm-hmm. so i'm a devops engineer uh, so i have a completely a technology background me having a, a, a technology skills and technology skill set a uh, technology background uh, and uh, uh that is my full time job actually devops engineering is my full time job having conversations like this uh, uh 
uh, from everywhere on the planet and uh, talking with different experts. I also interviewed people who worked in space technology, NASA, the directors, and also people who are working in uh, uh, working in police department or authors, psychologists, who are completely out from the technology. So how mm. this communication that I'm doing with different human beings from different parts of the world, they can be leaders, engineers, architects, doctors, like everybody, like everyone, I'm talking with completely different people. How this is going to uh, contribute uh, uh, to my career in coming days? Oh, I think it's going to be hugely valuable. Um, being Getting out into the community has been a force multiplier for my career. Um, I want to say, like, I didn't really get into community until about 15 or 13 years ago. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, prior to that, I was, you know, just doing the regular things, sysadmin, networking guy, whatever like that. After I got into the community, after I started talking with people at local meetups and figuring out that, you know, hey, I, I like talking about this. I like getting up on stage and doing presentations. And then I and then I got into the podcast. It's been it's been absolutely immense for my career, um, getting the, the V expert designation back in the day, then getting the AWS hero designation. Um, people people know know my material. All, my entire career is out on the Internet. So if somebody wants to see what they would be getting into if they wanted to hire me, they just Google Mistwire and there there I am. There's there's all my stuff. If they like it, great. If they don't like it, then they they move on to the next person. So um community involvement, uh, uh podcasting, getting your name out there, getting your face out there is huge for not just content creation, but also for for your own brand. That's a, that means a lot to me. Thank you again, Chris, sir, for your valuable time. And definitely a lot of people on the planet are going to get benefit with the contribution that you're doing through this so. technology, uh, you know, uh, contribution. Cool. Well, Scythe, thank you very much. Uh, keep up the great work. It was wonderful chatting with you and your audience. Thank you very much, sir. Again, take care. All right. Bye. Bye.